try to let them rock the same mic. It's a ball every day. You stay the same life. Like so much green, but I still tall white. Me and Chevrolet today. Let the Phantom at the house. Put a brick on the table. I'm a meal with the couch. First off, I'm a motherfucking G. And I'll never let a bitch look bow wow me. I'm a hood nigga. I keep the purple by the pound. The trunk stay funky. I don't know we run the town. Bruh. Bow wow. What happened, bruh? What what happened? This dude little as hell. And every woman thinks that she can try him. And well, his girlfriend did put a lamp in this man's face. It's a little bit to unpack here, so I'm gonna go on and jump into it. Welcome to Self Shoots of Shit. I'm your host, Joshua Self. Uh let's go and get straight to it. Over the weekend, uh, a little Bow Wow apparently wanted to go to a party of some sort, and his girlfriend was not having that shit and put a lamp in his man's face. So the first issue really is um, men shouldn't be fighting women, but women shouldn't be fighting men either. So he didn't retaliate. Uh, if you look at the mug shot, she didn't have a scratch on her, not bruised, like her hair's not even messed up. Like she's about to go to a photo shoot, so he did not retaliate, but he still gets arrested. So if it was me, and I feel like oh I got finna get arrested anyway, you might as well go and knock her out. She, she uh crossed the line anyhow. She had this shit coming, but he opted to not retaliate. Uh, but his face is all scratched up, you know. But I feel like it was more than just a lamp got thrown at him. Um. But there were some comments by um, some other people about how it kind of embodies types of masculinity. And there's a few things that we should uh, really address here. For starters, um, the idea that a man, like, somehow he can't be hurt by women or they should never admit when he's being hurt by a woman that is part of toxic masculinity, like the assumption that a man can't be weak, they can't show any type of weakness to anybody ever, and it's unhealthy. Um, but I feel like in this situation, both of them were wrong. He should have seen the signs long time ago and should have ended that relationship way before it got to this point. She shouldn't put her hands on him in any type of way. Honestly, she should not have been in this relationship either because if anybody makes you feel like you need to take a lamp to their face, why are you with them? Like, you shouldn't be with anybody that makes you feel that way. You know, so if y'all in a relationship out there and your significant other makes you feel like you need to resort to violence to get your point across, you're not in a healthy relationship, you need to leave. Please leave before... You get hurt or they get hurt. There's only nobody want to get hurt in a relationship, but especially we're talking about physical violence. Like there are so many steps you can take before it gets to that point. But if you feel like that's where you are, they just end it. You're better off without them and they better off without you. In case you're living under a rock, the Patriots won, which is not really a surprise to anyone. The thing that's interesting to me is that the game was very low scoring. And I wonder if people would still consider the Super Bowl to be boring 
if the Rams had won them. Like, would it be, oh, this is, like, the best display of defense we've ever seen if the Rams had won it? But it's just the fact that the Patriots won again. It was like, ugh, 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 sick of this shit. But I think 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when the people who are my age, a little bit older, a little bit younger, we're the old heads. We're just going to look back and marvel at this dynasty that Tom Brady created. It's not going to be looked at like, ugh, I can't believe he won all those times. It's like, no, nah, I got to witness greatness. And, I mean, Brady's like 100 years old in athlete terms, and he's still doing his thing. Uh, so uh, congrats to them. Um, whether it's deserved or not, who knows? Who cares? 20 years from now, these little details like the deflate gate and all that kind of thing, paying the refs or whatever, people won't remember that shit. People just remember that he won all the fucking time and we're just going to move on with our lives. But the more important thing that came out for the weekend, though, uh, much more entertaining than the Super Bowl itself was uh, 21 Savage, your boy from across the ocean. He was arrested by ICE for his visa being expired. And they claim that he had a felony charge. His lawyers say that there's not a felony charge. So we'll, we'll see what comes of that in the coming weeks. But he has um, admitted that he was from the UK and he moved to America when he was like seven. So the craziness of him being from the UK apparently is true. And I don't know if that changes his credibility, if that's why he opted to say that he's from Atlanta as opposed to from over the ocean. Over the past uh, few years, I would say that UK rappers have gained a little bit of traction in the United States. I remember when I first saw Lady Likes, uh, a woman from the UK, and this was uh, like four or five years ago. And she had a few songs and I was like, okay, this is pretty good. I can get behind this. And they have um, a more recent artist who kind of been pushing in popularity, uh, Stefan Dom, who I'm a big fan of. And she was like, oh man, so I'm not the first uh, British rapper to grace the cover of XXL. And because, um, you know, 21 Savage was on it before her, but at the time, people didn't realize that that's where he was from. So there's a, a lot to look at there. One of the things is, if you move somewhere when you're in your youth, you know, not when you're like a teenager or, you know, your 20s, but we're talking about like you're four, five, six years old, seven years old, whatever. If you move to another state, move to another city, to another country, do you claim where you came from? Because you haven't reached adulthood where you came from. You didn't reach like your teenage years, your formative years where you came from. You just spent a portion of your childhood there. So I was born in Washington, D.C. And I moved here to Memphis when I was two years old. So I can't claim Washington, D.C. Because I don't really know anything about it. I don't know anything about their culture. Not really. Like, I didn't really live there. 
like the first couple of years of my life, like doesn't really count. So I, I can't remember anything from that. So I wonder, can he really claim UK? I sure he spent a few more years there, but these are years uh, as a juvenile, you know, like he's not even a teenager yet. He hasn't gone through puberty yet. There's so many type of developments that we have that give us an attachment to a particular place. So since he was in Atlanta for most of his life, does he really claim UK? Like, should he claim the UK? And because he moved there when I was seven, uh, when he was seven, excuse me, my inclination is like, no, he, he should not really claim the UK. He probably doesn't really remember much about it beyond tea and crumpets. And he's basically from Atlanta, you know, um, I mean, two chains can claim to be from Atlanta, despite being um, not originally from Atlanta. Like, why, why not? Like, uh, I can't fault him for uh, claiming Atlanta. And I want to thank him for providing us with plenty of memes for the weekend. Way better than the Super Bowl memes. Better than the Super Bowl commercials, for that matter. Uh, thank you, Mr. 21 Savage. You gave me some good laughs for the weekend. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. I did see the trailer for uh, Shaw and Hobbs or Hobbs and Shaw, whatever the uh, movie is called. It's uh, going to be starring Jason Statham and The Rock. It's under the Fast and Furious umbrella. And I like that they took – these are two best characters – they're the most well-liked, the most well-received. They're funny. They're very good at doing their action part. Um, I can believe that these guys are actually down in the dirt, in the nitty-gritty, you know, kicking all this ass and also having a good time with it. Like These characters are way better than the original Fast and Furious characters played by Paul Walker and... Uh, Vin Diesel like those two guys where I'm trying to be cool like how do I be cool well talk with a a low growl and use this kind of voice and say cool one-liners but you know Statham and the rocker like still doing one-liners but they're not really trying to be cool they just are and that was the one thing that got me is that when the Fast and Furious first came out back in the day, it was awesome because we're in high school. Like, we didn't know any better anyway. Like, vroom, 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 and women, yay, uh, in bikini-type clothing or whatever. It's, like, awesome. Like, this is what high school is all about, right? You know, drive fast and uh, get the, the hot girl whatever. And those characters, like, when you become adults, they're like, eh, characters are pretty lame. They're a little anemic. There's not a whole lot of depth to them. And they're actually not funny. And the fact that they try so hard to be cool makes them uncool. So when we have The Rock and Statham, who are basically just playing themselves, like they're not really acting. They're just like, this is who I am naturally. It's like, okay, cool. I can get behind that. Like you're confident in who you are. Uh, You're having fun. I can see that you're having fun. Okay, cool. We'll all just have fun together. So I'm excited for this movie. Idris Elba's in it. So uh, that's a higher percentage of brown than what they typically have, you know. 
So uh, I'm, I'm excited for that. And I, I like that they kind of did away with some of these shittier characters. Like, um, none of the women in Fast and Furious have really been that interesting to me. They've all seemed very, very uh, weak. Like, there's no, like, strength to their character, you know? And it's not that they don't have, like, strong personalities or something or that their characters like physically weak or mentally weak, but rather their characters don't really have any depth. They're not interesting. They're very flat characters. And most of the men were also very flat characters, not much depth to them. I mean, Vin Diesel's character is terrible. Paul Walker's character is terrible. Basically all their characters are terrible. The only one that gets a pass is Tyrese because at least he's funny. Um, Despite the fact that he's kind of like, more silly, but I, I can get behind it. Like he, he made me laugh a few times. Whereas most of these other guys, it's like I'm trying to be cool. Like how do I be cool? Well, you talk in a low T voice like this, and then you're cool. But everybody else is kind of like, yeah, the characters are terrible. So I, I'm, I'm glad that they did away with these shittier characters. Let's just have a fun movie with the only two people in the uh, franchise that are actually worth a damn. I'm looking forward to that. So in my personal life, I have uh, Valentine's Day on the way. And it's the first Valentine's Day I've had with a girlfriend in a very long time. So I'm kind of excited about it. And made a whole bunch of statements about the shit that I'm going to do. And I'm 100% sure I can't really back it up. So uh, if any of y'all know how to make steak... Uh, let me know because I, I need some help. My girlfriend went my parents for the first time uh, over the weekend, and uh, it, was, it was pretty good, you know. Um, she was nervous, and honestly, I was a little bit nervous too. Uh, but it went well, and they got a chance to meet each other. And for me, it was a big deal because my father always said to uh, meet her parents and have her parents meet me whenever I was first dating somebody. So for me, it was just like really important to uh, get to know her, get to know her folks and for her folks to get to know me and for her to get to know my folks. So um, I think it's important to understand where somebody comes from, because if you know where they are and you know where they come from, you can have a, pretty good idea of where they're going and it, it, it went well or as well as it possibly could be I guess for a first time meeting and you know it's just what's been going on in my life um, so I'm, uh, I'm happy that uh, I was able to get that done you know we can move on to the next thing and one of those next things is uh, talking to my man Rory Laster a uh, friend of mine from a long, long time ago, Mr. Roy Lester. How you doing, hello, Roy? Hello. Doing all right, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, I haven't seen you in a good while. It's, uh, it's good to catch up with you again. Um, I learned that you were doing like a lot of music, and I just want to talk to you a little bit about um, how you got started doing that. Like, What made you start doing music in the first place? Oh, sure. Um, well, uh, I remember I was like 
11 or 12 years old and uh, one of my neighbors was getting rid of a guitar and I was just like, screw it, I'll pick it up. And started, I just started playing it and then figured out how to formulate chords and build chords and, and kind of was off to the races after that. Yeah. So you lay work with a band for a while. Um, uh, what kind of experiences you had doing that? Like, uh, like were these guys friends of yours beforehand, or you oh, met yeah. up with them later? Oh yeah, it was uh, the first band I was in. The first several bands I was in was just a bunch of uh, buddies of mine from high school and to co- and into college, and it was just we had a blast. But mainly, it was centered around just getting fucked up. You know, that was, just much, that, was, that was it was just a good excuse for us to get fucking hammered. Yeah. So, you know, um, to be young like that. But since then, I've been in, in several other bands. Uh, I've cut several records. Uh, um, you know, uh, ju- the last record I just finished up was a Christmas album that I do with a side project band that, that's called the Midtown Memphis Reindeer Band. Mm-hmm. And and uh, what we do is. This will be our fourth installment. What we do is every year around Christmas time, we get a bunch of Memphis musicians together. We all write our own original tunes to Christmas and we donate all the proceeds to St. Jude. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of like just an annual project that I'm always working on. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. Um, You know, giving back to the community for Christmas, you know, do it for the kids and everything. The kids, I've got one, so might as well give it, give it back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're starting a solo project. Uh, what made you decide to do this one on your own? Well, it's something I've been wanting to do, uh, right around a couple of years, about five years into playing. I've been playing for like 20 years. And so like about five years in, like I felt comfortable in, in writing my own material, uh, completely. And, uh, and I, I always toyed around with the idea of it. Is after college, I toyed around with the idea of it. Tried a couple of uh, to audition a few people. We did a couple of gigs, but nothing really to write home about. Then I just got uh, this decision earlier, or earlier this year, uh, late last year, to really pursue it. And uh, so, the liberating element of that is that I get to write all my own material and kind of dictate really where the song is going and where I want the song to go. Mm-hmm. it's kind of freeing in a lot of ways to be able to go like okay i can do this now my head's in the right spot it's kind of like when you're just when you're when you're shifting over to doing something to doing something new uh, you know once you made your mind up and like all right i'm ready to go uh then you're ready to go you know yeah so who were like your musical influences like um the people that you oh, really enjoy listening to when um you were first getting started and now as you've you know entered adulthood and you know you've been grown for a while now so what kind of people do you like to listen to that uh inspire some of your music well i want to clarify that last statement of uh i'm grown now i don't know if that's a, <laughs> i don't know if that's a fair i don't know if that's a fair argument because i still think i'm a child i still act like a child um but when i was a kid when i first started playing it was straight up the beatles and mm-hmm. it was, that was the reason why I wanted to play. Um, and then I uh, discovered uh, a band called Soundgarden. And then uh, the lead singer, Chris Cornell, became like my idol. And then I uh, started following uh, his band, Audio Slave, and stuff like that. And then I, uh, a lot of System of a Down as well. 
had to I had to get that teenage angsty uh, side of me out <laughs> before I could even consider myself a decent musician. Now I listened to some of the stuff I did back in the day, and I trust me, it was crap. You could tell that we were all fucking drunk. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I got older, I started listening to a lot of more folk music. Like, uh, just for example, Mumford and Sons is uh, just a quick example. It really kind of turned me on to the folk music scene. And then I got really into that and started doing, uh, started a folk band and did, did that for a little while. It was called the Reverend Hitchhikers. That was a fun band. We played a lot. We cut, uh, we cut a record together. That was fun. And then I started listening to a lot more Queens of the Stone Age. So over the past three, four years, I've been going back to my rock roots and doing more of, uh, of that. So it's, and that's what kind of gave me the, uh, the leverage and the push to start a solo album. Okay. So a lot of people are inspired by things that are happening in their, their real life, you know, um, and a lot of that pours into their music. So how much of your real life experiences have you put into your own music? Um, I can tell you, I don't know, I can't speak on behalf of any other musician other than myself. Uh, but I will say this, that um, I, I write about life experiences. That's just kind of the easiest way for me to write. Um, cause, and then I think when, once you produce the product, uh, if you're speaking truly from your soul, people believe you. And they're, they're more inclined to really relate to that tune. Yeah. And that's just me, though. Um, I didn't. I didn't write the book on it. I just follow the rules, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's not uh, true. I don't fucking follow the rules. <laughs> You're a rebel. A rebel. Uh, that's an understatement. I, uh, I, I'm told I'm a big softy inside, but I try to put on a badass front. But you know, this is that's, probably goes, like, yes. that's probably true. That's probably true. That's probably true. I'm a, I'm a big old baby. Yeah. Um. So you're talking at some point about um, the entering like a period of like sobriety. Um, do you think that that's changed the way you look at music and the way you try to produce your own music? Uh, definitely. Uh, I got sober and, um, and it, it, all of a sudden all of these songs started flourishing out of nowhere that I was just started writing and like writing and writing and writing. And because uh, in that time when I was using all the time, it really got like I, I was I couldn't write, you know, I, I could I could be a presence on stage, but I, I just couldn't write very well, at least. And then once I think that the sobriety really helped out as far as giving me the motivation to really get uh, going and focusing on that, but basically bringing myself back to focusing on art mm-hmm. and uh, as a whole. So that. That was a that was a big factor in the equation. What um, what kind of helps you push towards um, sobering up? You know, like was it like a specific incident that happened, or I can tell you truthfully that I just I got fucking sick and tired of uh, smelling like booze. Yeah. Uh, and I just started got tired of feeling like shit. You know, I would cancel band practices and crap like that. I just. It was just getting out of control, and I was just like, you know what, I'm done with this. So I just put it aside and said, my my time with you is is long gone. Yeah. Um. So your music, um, is going to be a little bit different now that you're sober. Do you feel like your um presence on stage will be the same, or would it be better? 
They're just different. Well, one would hope that it gets better, I guess. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's what we, I mean, even, even if you're fucking hammered, uh, I don't think, it, uh, I think you just hope that you're putting on a goddamn good show. Uh, but um, I, I, I think the sobriety element has cleared up, a, a, cleared my head a lot and made it easier for, for me to write again. Because I've always felt like I was a good songwriter. It's just, you know, I was, once I got older and a little bit wiser and, my head got a little bit more clear and settled down and 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 attaching sobriety onto that it made the whole process a lot easier so to answer your question i'm not really nervous per se about getting back on stage uh again but i'm looking forward to it that's damn sure yeah man that's what's up um so i have one like last serious that question. is that is that uh, is what's up yeah, you, you gotta tell me about this mustache. This this mustache is a, a work of art. <laughs> you know, it's a fucking relic, man. I love this thing. Uh, <laughs> it's it's turned it turned into uh, one of those things where um, I actually, um, if I shaved it off now, people probably wouldn't know who I am. Yeah, I've actually been told that. Like, if you shaved your mustache, I would have no clue who you are. How long have you but had it? Is, oh man. Um, Five years, yeah. Five, six years. Yeah, it's uh. It's Every once in a while, you know, I'll shave my head completely. Yeah. The the mustache gotta stay though, I guess. Oh, it's staying. It's it's it's, it's just, I guess it's a symbol. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So you're about to be back in the studio. Yeah, starting tomorrow. Um, I uh, hop back in for pre-production. Yeah, yeah, that's what's up, man. That's, that's good. Um, I'm looking forward to with, uh, what you've got coming I'll be up. Working, yeah, man. Uh, I'll definitely. I can't wait to share it with everybody. Uh, I'm, I've got a engineer, Adam Hill. He's going to be uh, engineering the record for me. He's a good friend of mine. Um, he worked at Ardent Studios here in Memphis. Uh, now he's now he's a freelance engineer for uh, American Studios and stuff and all other studios. A lot of studios across the country. So he's a good dude. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been great um, getting a chance to talk with you and your music coming up. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Facebook under my name. And I'll, uh, I'll, uh, here soon I'm going to open up a, a Facebook page for my, uh, for my solo project. And I'll have a website finished up here soon for that as well. Yeah. Uh, but right now you can just go to my personal page. It, uh, it's just my name, Rory Laster. And uh, I'm the uh, guy with the mustache. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, uh, it's been good catching up with you. Likewise, uh, man. Yeah, this has been another episode of Such Shit. Y'all uh, have a great weekend.